It just sounded incredible to us to use Western electric pop, but with Urdu lyrics. You know, knowing and identifying with the fact that we are Pakistani British kids. For us, this was almost like bringing together both worlds in a creative sense. In the early 1980s, London was the center of the world, at least as far as New Wave was concerned. 200 kilometers away, in Birmingham, 15-year-old Nermeen Niazi and her older brother, Fossil Mosley, were in love with New Wave. And like a lot of British teenagers at that time, they dreamed of making a record. I'm Jessica Hopper, and from KCRW, this is Lost Notes. This week, a story of two siblings and a lost record. I'm Arshia Fatimaha, and I'm an artist, DJ, and the founder of Discostan. Discostan's a project exploring cultural production from South and West Asia, North Africa. I happened to stumble across this record in a shop in New York on the Lower East Side. What caught your eye about it? The title. The title was the first thing that jumped out at me, Disco Se Age, which translates roughly to Beyond Disco. And then just the cover, it's this image of a woman, you know, she's got this fabulous 80s mullet, super sci-fi white blazer, and she's suspended in this halo with all of these lights that kind of look like disco lights. I knew, like, just looking at it, that it was going to be this absolute gem. This is Beyond Disco from Arshia Fatima Haq. Stick around. Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled. This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car, already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com cars. In the summer of 1984, the UK singles charts were dominated by Wham!, Cyndi Lauper, and Frankie Goes to Hollywood. The DIY days of punk and new wave had already given way to a new generation of commercial pop. At the same time, in the Midlands of England, Narmin Niazi and her brother Faisal Mosley were holed up in Zella recording studios. I think knowing that there was such a huge explosion of electric pop in Britain and in America, it was our way of identifying that, fusing it with East and West, and wanting to show kids out there that we could do it too, and we could do it in Urdu. The album they made was released the following year, in both England and their homeland of Pakistan. I'm an immigrant myself, and I'm an avid collector of music from South and West Asia and North Africa. Over the years, I've amassed hundreds of records from these regions, 
lush cinema scores, lo-fi pop records, everything in between. But this record... It had a sound that was different from anything I'd heard before. Something lost and something found, intimate and epic, a synthesized new wave dream, but in my beloved native language. Listening to the album over the last few years, I had built up a story in my head. A teenage girl recording in a studio somewhere in Karachi or Lahore, back in the homeland. But I was blown away when I learned that this Urdu language record was made in the diaspora. Why would a teenager making music in England in the 80s decide to sing in Urdu? I wondered if Narmeen's story was similar to my own in some ways, if she was trying to find a sense of home through music. Narmeen lives with her family in the outskirts of London in a small market town called Epsom. It's the same Epsom you know from the salts discovered there. These days, she's an officer for the London Metropolitan Police. But I can still see the girl from that cover, even without the fabulous 80s garb and crowning mullet. I was born in Lahore, in Pakistan. But most of my life has been spent in England. Narmeen and her brother Faisal grew up between Birmingham and Pakistan, descended from music royalty. Their grandfather was the director of Radio India before partition. Their mother is Nahid Niazi, a famous playback singer in the 1950s and 60s. And their father, Muslehuddin, had a considerable career in Pakistani film and TV. I think my mother's love of music started from a very young age. From what I recall, she may have only been three or four years old. And the passion just grew for her. That's what she's told me. And it got to a point where I think members of the family objected to her wanting to possibly sing. But somehow she managed to break the mold. And I think she was about 15, actually the same age as me, when she sang her first song. She, in so many ways, changed so many things for the women in my family. So many of them became a more, you know, more courageous about wanting to pursue different things, not just music. So by this point, obviously, by the time I was born, music was totally accepted within the family. In the late 60s, England was sponsoring South Asian musicians to come and perform for its immigrant communities. And when the war with East Pakistan broke out, Narmeen's family made a permanent move. So when we left Pakistan, we settled initially in London, and then we moved from London to Birmingham. My parents did a lot of entertaining work. And so we would go to TV studios, we would go to shows with them across the country. 
जिस शहर में कल नए शहर में बस इसी लहर Fasla and I thought this was normal. We thought that all fathers sat in the front room composing music. And I thought it was normal for mums to glam up and dress up and 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 put makeup on and then appear on stage. So you can imagine my surprise and my shock as I got older and realized that actually we were from a very unusual family and that, you know, mum and dad were actually very unusual people. This was all going into our ears as we're growing up. Again, we are taking this for granted, not realizing what we're actually learning and what we're actually picking up about classical ghazal, as well as, you know, just your modern uh, Pakistani music. Immigrants are faced with many choices. They can assimilate and fully adopt the customs of their new home, erasing at least some degree of what they came with. or they can shut out external influences protecting their traditions and histories Narmeen's family walked a line between the two they raised their kids in english society and sent them to be homeschooled by their family in pakistan where you grow up really does kind of never leave you in a way you sort of um you know remember the scent the smells the atmosphere of of the place and and that stays with you and then of course the major thing that you do get when you're even when you're little is the um language and the cultural kind of imprinting and i think i got a lot of that in pakistan at the age of about 4 i started to speak urdu with an english accent so mom said to my dad right we're going to have to stop speaking in english at home because she will not learn the language otherwise so they did work very hard and i'm very grateful they did that actually because as we know you can translate things from one language to another but it doesn't quite have the same feeling i've noticed that in urdu with poetry particularly it's used in a very emotional way there's a certain resonance with certain words and you just cannot try to translate those into english it just would not work the language unlocks the culture at the end of the day and narmeen was exposed to all kinds of modern pop being made in the subcontinent sounds that left a lasting impression it's the songs you know when i hear them i'll suddenly start singing with them even now because it never goes it's in your long term memory you know from from being a child i relate to narmeen as a fellow child of diaspora I still remember the day I got my first cassette tape at the local music shop in Hyderabad, India. I picked out Superuna by Runa Laila because of the image on the cover, a South Asian woman decked out in shimmering gold, holding a microphone defiantly in her glossy red-tipped nails. She was a disco superheroine. To four-year-old me, her image and sound were everything. A woman that looked like someone from my family. just way more glamorous playing futuristic synthesized sounds romance 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 zamana hai 
It's so funny because I used to listen to that album as well. <laughs> I did. I think it was on vinyl. Dad had been given some of these records and they were just sitting there in his collection and I just picked it up and thought, Runa Lela Disco, this is going to be interesting. Let me have a little listen to this. And I was hooked. I don't know if you were, but I was. <laughs> it was it was so unusual. I absolutely loved it. You know, it was it was just so so different from the traditional kind of Bollywood uh, music. And of course, Nazia Hassan was the disco darling of the subcontinent. Like Narmeen, she had spent her formative years in England, then became a crossover star in Pakistan and India, blazing the Blair trail in the Urdu language. Her album, Disco Diwane, sold millions of copies and charted as far as the West Indies, Latin America, even Russia. It astonished executives at EMI. I do remember listening to Disco Divane. I think it was before our album. And I remember it also when I went over to Pakistan as well. And I think that's kind of where the the world of disco accepted a young female really and truly for the first time. We're actually very heavily influenced by ABBA as well. You won't believe this. We love ABBA, both of us. And I know that when I was growing up, you didn't say that. That was embarrassing. Do you remember that Pakistani cover album of ABBA, the one Salman Sabina Aga did? Yes! Yeah. Yes, I do. I do. Oh my gosh, yes, I do remember that. The crossover is brilliant. I just find it so funny that you've mentioned it because it suddenly brings back memories. You know, these are names I haven't heard for, for like decades. So the influence from the Bollywood music and the Pakistani music came directly from home. The external influence was the Western music, which came from being with my peer group, you know, becoming a teenager. And I think it was a magnificent time. The the change that we had from rock to punk and then to electric pop from the 70s into the 80s was an amazing time. The spirit of the time was infectious for musical kids like Narmin and Fessel. I sort of got interested in just playing around on synthesizers and being able to create different kinds of sounds. And in those days, these are all analog synths mostly. So the sound quality is very different from what we have nowadays. So, you know, you'd mix waveforms and you try to kind of get different types of uh, flavors of and textures and timbers of sound. He started dabbling using dad's keyboard in the living room. 
And I think I just happened to join him. And we suddenly realized that this is what we have in common. Oh, maybe try it this way. Why don't you try it that way? You know, we're talking to each other about notes. Have you tried that chord? And then I'm humming, oh, I like that. Carry on doing that. And it just kind of naturally evolved. It was all kind of accidental, I think, with us, with the beginning of the album. Before music, my brother and I just argued. We had absolutely nothing in common. Having a five-year age gap as well, there wasn't much in common there at all. And it's amazing because the fighting stopped. All those years of probably driving mum and dad crazy stopped because we suddenly had a channel. We had a focus. We had something positive and creative to do together. Oriental Star Agencies was an unassuming electronic shop on Birmingham's High Street. It was also the hub of Asian music production and distribution throughout England. Its founder, Mohammad Ayyub, brought the Khawali singer Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan to Western audiences. Throughout the 80s and 90s, Ayyub also developed young musical talent in England. He was kind of a visionary, encouraging new sounds in the diaspora. And he probably had the success of Nazia Hassan and her brother Zoheb in mind when he approached Narmeen and Faisal. I was still at school and there was a producer, a gentleman who owned uh, a shop called Oriental Star Agencies in Birmingham. He approached us and asked us if we'd be interested in doing some music, putting an album together. And they wanted the album to be in Urdu. And it just sounded incredible to us to use Western electric pop, but with Urdu lyrics. For both of us, you know, knowing and identifying with the fact that we are, you know, Pakistani British kids, for us, this was almost like bringing together both worlds in a creative sense. In the summer of 1984, Narmeen and Faisal began laying down tracks in Zella Recording Studios, the same studio where Black Sabbath cut their earliest recordings. So we got into it and we started writing songs. I composed music and then we tested them out. And over a period of a couple of years, we probably produced about 12 to 14 songs. And then we recorded them. I was like, uh, I think I was like 15, 16, 17 when we recorded the album. What I remember, to be honest with you, is the smell of the studio and the silence of the studio, the smell of the velvet curtains and the smell of the wood, the smell of the piano and the other instruments that were sitting within that studio. Those are the things that I kind of connected to in a very odd way. It's really strange because when we were within the privacy of that that music studio, we felt sort of in a cocoon. It felt comfortable. And... It allowed us to just express ourselves within the silence of that studio. It just felt so good. It was a great feeling. 
It's really hard to explain. We spent a long time at the mixing desk, as you can probably imagine, and we would just come up with ideas there and then. We spent hours and hours in that studio, believe me. We were just living and breathing and eating music for weeks on end with that album, my brother and I were. We played a lot with our music. We experimented. We did unusual things uh, with, you know, overlapping music. There's one song called Hamtum. I think there are eight voices, they're all mine, which come in at different times. So if you listen to the song on headphones, I am coming at you from every angle. You know, the way it's been panned across in stereo, you can hear me just kind of running across you and then coming from the left and coming from the right and coming from everywhere. That was just being experimental because we were in that culture of growing up in the 80s where music was experimental. You know, you had a bit of fun. You enjoyed it. Because Urdu is a very poetic language and can be quite complex, people tend to hire and commission poets and bring them in. And then they play them the music and then they are inspired to write the words. Oh, this one was a nightmare. Sorry, sorry, Rat. Didn't have any lyrics for a long time. So all I did was sing sorry, sorry, Rat all the time. I think actually my grandmother said, you're driving me crazy. Can you please stop? <laughs> I said, Nani, we will get lyrics eventually. You know, at the moment she said, no, I've had enough. Baskaro, baskaro, kitni dafa kahogi sari sari raat. Just begged me to stop. Once we got the poet in, he turned it into a song where she meets this guy, doesn't have the courage to speak to him. That's what this song is actually about. Hari Hari Rat means I lost. I lost the night. It's like I lost in the game of courtship. Sometimes Narmeen's voice reminded me of Elizabeth Fraser from the Cocteau Twins or even Kate Bush. I wondered if she had been influenced by goth or new wave singers on Disco Seage. No, I wasn't listening to any goth music at that age. That was later on that I started listening to goth music. So my influence was sort of more experimental rather than listening to anything like that. I think it just came from us and from our experiences of listening to music. So I don't know whether goth music like that is actually picking up on raga and is actually picking up on Asian music. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Because our music was a mixture of Asian and British. So is it the other way around? Is goth music actually picking up from 
Indian rugger. Did you consider that? <laughs> did they, did that get you? <laughs> wow! Did I blow your mind? <laughs> no, seriously, did it occur to you? This song is a very serious song. Yeah, I can imagine this quite dramatic scene of traveling through the desert. That's just me. That's me romanticizing here, but this has possible moments of tragedy running through it, you know. Where are you going alone? You know, he's on his journey. He doesn't belong anywhere. He's a nomad. It's about someone who's wandering and doesn't have a home. So it's quite a serious song. It's not really a pop song. So disco se aage literally means ahead of disco or you could translate it to mean beyond disco. My dad came up with the title Disco se aage because he said there's disco music. And he said because our music was more experimental and it was a little bit odd sounding. There may be elements of disco there but it's not quite disco. He said it was beyond disco. you know we didn't have any models for what we were doing i think what we created was as a result of our experiences and our own desires ambitions and sort of you know just learnings that we had had from two different cultures it just came from who we were and what we grew up with and came from us naturally Disco Se Age was released both in the UK and in Pakistan. And almost immediately, Nermeen had to contend with the opinions of both her peers and the press, her white English audience and her Asian listeners. It was a conflict many people face in diaspora, too western for the east and too eastern for the west. My school was full of English girls and they didn't really have an understanding of you know asian culture asian music as such they didn't know who my parents were i didn't tell anybody at school so basically my school friends schoolmates didn't know that i was actually recording an album over the summer they were not aware of this until i appeared in the newspaper and that was a hell of a shock to them okay so shall i start with the actual title of this yeah sure yeah so there's a photo of both of us and then it says Schoolgirl star of Asian disco. To students and teachers of the fourth year at Hillcrest School in Bartley Green, 15-year-old Namin Niazi is just another pupil. In fact, she has become an overnight singing sensation among Britain's Asian community. Not everybody is happily hopping away to this controversial new sound, however. Traditional Asian music lovers are fuming, for they regard Namin's music as outrageous. and have branded her as Asian music's black sheep. Namin and her brother Fasil, who has written the music, were brought up in Birmingham and argue this is the sound of British Asians. The race relation pundits fully agree with them. They view Namin and Fasil's work as a spectacular process of racial integration in Britain. So the thing is, you know, with my family being from a music background, they were always really supportive. 
with anything that we did, any kind of artistic pursuits, whether it was, you know, music, drawing, dancing, whatever it may be. However, the problem is that generally within the Asian community, there was a little bit of a backlash. You know, there I am, a 15-year-old girl, dancing around on stage and actually being quite empowered as well. I think it's what I ended up representing on stage. I was representing freedom and a possibility and rebellion. Shortly after the album's release, Fessel went off to Imperial College to pursue a degree in physics, and music producers and promoters in Pakistan were asking Narmeen to spend more time there to build her career. You know, I would go back to Pakistan, I, was vi- I would visit family, I would do a few shows with my family, uh, maybe on television or on stage. I think that was it, really. For me, that's kind of how it worked. I couldn't see myself living out there. I just couldn't see it because I'd grown up here. The thing is, you know, you do question, don't you, afterwards? You think, well, you know, if I had stayed there for a little bit longer, there is a possibility that my career could have been more serious in music. And I think one of the reasons that my career didn't carry on is because I came back home, you know, because the the demand would have been over there. The audience would really mainly have been over there. There are always regrets because you wonder, you know, you wonder, you think, well... It's such a shame. And I think deep down, we probably hoped that we would always stay in music. Do you know something? It took me a long time to to really sort of understand, I think, who I was. And I think that had a lot to do with the the culture kind of clash of not being sure, wanting to be British, but wanting to also preserve your identity, you know, as a Pakistani or as an Indian or whatever it may be. And you're kind of in Never Never Land. You're in the middle because you're you're trying to be part of both. And it can be very difficult. And I actually found it very difficult through my teens. I wasn't quite sure, you know, which side of the fence I was on. And then I realised it's actually not a battle. It's about choosing the good from both. And it's about embracing the good from both, if that's what you can do. I had friends at that time who didn't really know who they were. And it was all because they were Asian kids growing up in Britain. And there was this lack of understanding of identity. You know, this gave me an identity and at the same time allowed me to express myself and get a certain frustration and even a certain anger and energy out on the stage. So music was a fantastic outlet for me and it was almost like a cocoon. It was a safe way of expressing myself as much as I wanted to. Narmin and Fessel's disco dream didn't get the recognition they had hoped for in its time. But at least for me, it's a perfect sonic harmony between different worlds. Something lost, something found, and something beyond. Ah!
piece was produced by Arshia Fatima Haq. Special thanks to Diamond Dougal, Mariam Hosanzade, Sweetie Kapoor, Jeremy Loudenbach, Andy Magenheimer, and Nahid Niazi. Thanks also to Douglas Ryan and Eloise Stevens for field production support. Lost Notes is produced by Mike Dodge Weiskopf. Paulina Velasco is our associate producer. The executive producer of this season is me, Jessica Hopper. Creator and executive producer of Lost Notes is Nick White. Our show is made with support from KCRW's Independent Producer Project. To see pictures and watch video of Nermeen and Fossil, please go to kcrw.com slash lostnotes. Please rate and review Lost Notes on Apple Podcasts. And also, please tell your friends about this podcast we have made. I'm Jessica Hopper. Thanks for listening.